PDPW On Demand. Here's Bill Baker. Welcome to this week's PDPW podcast. Another Valentine's Day has come and gone, but as we hear from servant leadership trainer Tom Thibodeau, every day should be Valentine's Day. Here's Tom with this week's PDPW podcast. Valentine's Day, it's a day in which we remember the people that we love, people that we work with, the people that we share our communities with, and we wish them well, uh, an act of love. Uh, love is the extension of oneself for the good of the other. And it would seem that all of us would understand that we were created for love. The first love we experience, of course, is the love of our mothers, that the women who give us life and who teach us about life and to nurture our lives, and it's done through, through love. Uh, a good mother doesn't give the child everything the child wants, but a good mother makes the sacrifices so that the child's needs are met. And very early on, it's important that we begin to understand that we are loved so that we may love others. And on this particular day in February, we share that sentiment with other people. A Valentine's Day has a unique history. It begins in about the 5th century when a, a priest by the name of Valentinius um, looked at the order made by the Emperor Claudius who forbid young men to marry. Well, why in the 5th century would a Roman emperor forbid young men to marry? Well, he needed young men for war for soldiers and he said that young men could not could not marry he had been service to the empire well valentinius performed marriages for young people uh, in secret and after a while he was found out and he was killed and so he became known as this priest who had committed himself to making sure that people were able to express their love for each other in marriage. Another story or legend comes from another Valentine who was sentenced to a, a Roman prison. And while he was in prison, he would write letters and notes to others telling them how much he cared about them. Letters from prison that carried messages of encouragement and love. And he would sign those letters from your Valentine. Um, Valentine's Day was celebrated as a pagan holiday for, for centuries. It was a pagan holiday of fertility in which uh, they would recognize that before the crops were planted that there was this love between the gods that, that would uh, allow for a, a fertile har harvest, if you will. And during that, that fertility rite, young women would come and put their names into a jar. These were young women who were who did not have a were not promised in marriage, who were single at that time. And young young men would come along and they would pick out a name and search out this young woman. I think we could call that the original Match.com. How is it that two people come together, they discover each other, and then over time develop a sense of deep compassion and love and thoughtfulness for each other? Well, Sending cards and letters on Valentine's Day. This was an oral tradition until about the 1700s. And in the late 1700s, people started exchanging cards and letters. We became a much more literate society and would write notes and messages to each other. And then in 1840, a woman by the name of Esther Holland began mass-producing Valentine's cards. She's known as the mother of Valentine's. And for all for the last the century and a half, we have followed in her footsteps, buying cards and for our loved ones, sending them with messages of love, encouragement, compassion, thoughtfulness, and great joy. But the 
most well-written letter about love, one that is the most well-read piece of literature in all of the English-speaking world, comes from St. Paul, who writes, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, am I a noisy gong or clanging cymbal? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will be ceased. And as for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we only know in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete day comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I responded like a child. And when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, and then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. And of these three, the greatest is love. Uh, This is read at weddings. It's read at funerals. It's read at graduations. It's read at retirements. All of us want to know that we have contributed our lives to the growth and development of other people. In servant leadership, we say oftentimes service is love made visible, that the act of working on behalf of other people is truly an act of love. You set aside your own needs. You dedicate your time, your energy, your talent, and your treasure to the growth and development of other people. We, we see this each and every day. How about the number of people who have rescue dogs who flew from the comforts of Southern, Los, Southern California and Los Los Angeles to Turkey and Syria with these dogs who are specially trained to sniff out people who have been buried in in disasters. And there they are, complete strangers, traveling across the globe in order to save the lives of children and families who have been devastated by that terrible earthquake. We see acts of love all the time as people reach out and, and care for other people. We see it when people choose a complete stranger in order to donate a, a kidney. We see it when people adopt a child who has no other family. We see it when people open up their homes to strangers. We saw it during the great storm that took place in Buffalo, New York, where a group, a group of people from China were invited into a house in Buffalo during the storm, and the 14 of them became a little family, friends, strangers, welcomed into our lives, treated with love, and developed lifelong relationships. Love never ends. Death does not end a relationship. And those that we've known for a lifetime, parents and grandparents, continue to love us and would tell us if they could. How important it is then to set aside one day out of the year that represents how we act and engage with others all the time. Eric Fromm, a marvelous psychiatrist, wrote a book called The Art of Loving. And in that book, he said that, that love is not an 
object. Love is a skill. It's a lifestyle. It's an art that must be developed and practiced each and every day. And when we make it just an object, um, when we set, just set it aside, when we when we use it without any, any level of meaning, we can destroy its meaning. So people say, well, I really love chocolate cake. Well, what they're saying is that they, they take delight in eating chocolate, but there's not the deep permanent relationship that comes when two people commit themselves to each other for a lifetime. It's not this deep kind of love that happens um, among soldiers who are willing to lay down their own lives in comfort for their friends and fellow fellow, uh, army officers. How important this is then to reclaim the power of love. And what Fromm goes on to say, there's at least... um, three or four different ways that we can love each other. And the Greeks had that. They understood the understanding of filial love, from which we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philios, the ability to love a friend, to love a neighbor, the kind of mutuality that takes place when we show kindness, when we extend ourselves in gratitude to other people, we show that we are loving other people. And again, like I said earlier, we see this happen so many times when people serve us. When they have this sense of filial love and that in their neighborhood begins to spread, we see communities coming together um, Again, let's point back to just a month ago when we saw DeMar Hamlin, this marvelous young man playing football for the Buffalo Bills. He lays motionless for nine minutes while trainers perform CPR and then EMTs come and a number of people that get involved in this young man's life. Meanwhile, the whole stadium was praying. There was a deep level and there's a silence and respect because this young man's life is on the line. There were vigils set up outside of his hospital, praying and supporting he and his family as he went through this terrible ordeal. And what happened in that moment, there was an understanding that this man needed our love. This man who extended love to others by creating a foundation that bought Christmas presents for children that would not have Christmas. We responded by loving him. Aphelius the ability to love friends, neighbors, and strangers is so terribly important. Goes on to talk about the importance of erotic love, eros. It's a passionate kind of love, a love that people have for their work. We see this level in terms of eros not only directed towards other people, but think about how much people love their dogs. When I talk with farmers, people talk about the, the personal relationships that they have with their calves or their cows or the love of the land the love of a way of life, a passion that's, that's uh, planted deep into our hearts. And when we find it, we are just ecstatic. It takes us beyond ourselves. They oftentimes say, if you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. It's an extension of yourself. It's the effort that you make to make the world a better place. It goes beyond just anything that's transactional. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. No, to do it out of love. Is a really a sense of, of eroticism, of passion and commitment. And finally, the type of love that really gets expressed, and we see it all the time, is agape, that transcendental love, a love that transcends just the merely physical, the way in which we can extend ourselves for the lives of others, our thoughts, our prayers, our understanding. How important that is, it goes beyond anything that's temporal 
and it envelops our lives. At the end of our life, this deep sense of agape for the people that have loved us for a lifetime and how we we exchange this with others. Um, I have oftentimes been asked to speak at, at weddings um, and to acknowledge the love of a couple that's coming together for the first time. And I think that, that new love is kind of exciting, but what's really exciting is love that has matured over many years. And so there's this story of a couple who had been married for 40 years. After 25 years of marriage, they had become empty nesters, and in order to keep their love alive, they developed rituals on different days of the week and things that they would really focus on the needs of one another. And one of the rituals, because they lived here in the Midwest, was going out for a fish dinner on a Friday night. A Friday fish is one of those rituals here in the state of Wisconsin that people look forward to the end of the week and a, a good old fish fry that began in bars and now is celebrating our supper clubs really is an act of love. And on their 40th anniversary, they follow through on their ritual and they go out and they have they have their, their fish dinner and they come home. And part of the ritual was that the, the gentleman, uh, just before they'd go to bed, would make a, a sandwich, a peanut butter sandwich, and he'd give his wife half, and he would have the other half. And on the evening of their 40th anniversary, they follow the same ritual. They go out for dinner. Later in the evening, after watching some TV, the gentleman gets up and he makes a, a sandwich, giving his wife half and, gives, and, and keeps one half for himself. And he looked at her and he said, Dear, is there anything that I need to know after 40 years of marriage that you'd like me to understand? And she said, yes, she said. Um, I would really enjoy going out for supper, and we come home at night, and then later you make me a sandwich. And you give me the crust. You make half my sandwich out of the crust. And I, I don't know why I haven't told you that before, but I really don't like the crust. And I'm wondering, why do you give me the crust? And he looked down, and he looked up, and he smiled quietly. He said, well, I give you the crust because it's my favorite part. What's love? Being so mindful of the needs of other people that we choose intentionally to give them our favorite part, to give another person the best of ourselves. Well, we have to learn this. This becomes an art and a skill. All of us, if we're honest, have been plagued by selfishness. All of us can say that sometimes our love has been misplaced by a selfishness rather than a self-love or of our giving ourselves to other people. And gradually, over time, you learn how to extend yourself for the gift of other people. You learn that this is the way in which you choose to live your life. You're not forced to love anyone. You grow in that love and that ability. One of the things that allows us to happen is when people who love us tell us the truth. People who tell us the truth, like that woman on her 40th anniversary, commit themselves because they love the other. They want the relationship to grow. They want them to become aware of things you hadn't become aware of. I have in front of me a letter that I keep in a very special box. Um, early on in my life, I got involved in, in letter writing. Uh, and I would write to my grandma who lived in Milwaukee. 
And uh, when I was learning how to print, I printed and I began writing to her. And what was really wonderful is that my grandma would write back. Uh, she had 28 grandchildren, and I believe I was the one person who continued to write to her. After um, she died, um, six weeks later, I received a, a package in the mail. And I opened it up, and it was a shoebox filled with every letter I had written my grandma. From the time that I could begin to print the time that I was 32 years of age and I wrote to her about her impending death because she was dying of brain cancer. And she had kept every one of those love letters. Kind of the story of my life. Recognizing that I had been loved for a lifetime. And I had loved my grandmother for a lifetime. Well, my father got into the habit of for all of us as we grew older of sending us letters. And here was a letter that he sent me shortly before my wedding in 1982. And I'd like to read it to you. And I encourage those of you who are listening, send a letter. Send a card. Not just on Valentine's Day. Oh, I'm like you. I get one of those emails. Delete. Very seldom do I run them off, and if I run off an email, very quickly it gets lost. But a handwritten letter with your name on it and your address, you open it up, you cherish it, and you keep it. My father writes, My dear oldest, I'll try and write slow so you can read this as I know it's been a long time and you're out of practice. My father had terrible handwriting. He was an attorney. He learned how to write fast and not very carefully. When I got his letters in college, I loved it when I got his letter because it took me three days to decipher what he was trying to tell me. So he writes slowly so I can read this. Mom said she talked to you and she's worried because you sounded down. So I thought if you were, I'd write and maybe you'd get PO'd, which I think is a step up from depression. Oh, weddings, enough to get one down, that's true. But if taken with a large dose of, oh, what the hell, the little irritations stay little and fade away. Gotta roll with the punch on the bigger decisions, but be sure to know the big from the small. True, it is your wedding, and therefore the answers must come from you. But here we must define our terms and decide just who is yours. Don't holler so loud, I can hear you, he writes. Your wedding means that you and Priscilla are being married. Therefore, it's a problem for the both of you. Now, that's not very complicated. But wait a minute. Janine and Evelyn, our mothers, aren't going to just sit back and not throw in their ideas. Note how well I'm writing and how careful I'm choosing these words of wisdom. And even if you throw out what they suggest, please keep in mind who they are and the interest and the involvement they must feel. Now, Norman Gregg can be told to bug out, and that's okay, but not the women, because they're part of your. So, every once in a while, consider who sits where, who is yours, what is big, and what is small, and when to make a concession, and when to be firm, but try not to be unmovable. We'll have dinner on Friday night on us. Do you want to decide where? Where are the Holtz clan staying? We should be making our reservations soon. Your mother and I want to help, so we'll be sending a little something for your wedding to help you. We don't expect 
that we are buying rights. We just want to help you two great people in our own small way. For old time's sake, I'm enclosing a little check for the two of you to go out and have dinner on us. We love you more than you will ever know. All my love, Dad. If I've offended you, tough shit. There's my father's wisdom, a father's love that has guided me for a lifetime, always sharing the best part of his life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle and not boastful. Love is not only a feeling. It is an art. It is a way of life as an expression of how much they mean to us. It's always good to talk to you, and I hope that we've shared a little reminder of what's significant, important, and joyful in the lives of all the people that we've had the privilege this morning of speaking to. Our thanks to Tom Thibodeau for today's message. Tom, a distinguished professor of servant leadership at Viterbo University. And for archived podcasts and more on-demand programs, and for more on the professional development for today's dairy producer, head to PDPW's free website at pdpw.org. Until next time, have a safe and productive week.